morning. It looks like it's going to be a nice day. It was a nice day yesterday. I spent uh, pretty much all of it inside yesterday, other than some driving time, a fair amount of driving time uh, taking place right now uh, in my life. And uh, probably will be that way for some time to come. But uh, hey, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for the chance to spend time with you. Um, most mornings, I, I'm going to mention right now, I will not be on Monday morning. Uh, I need to, and you need to, learn to lean into little uh, bits of respite that come our way. Monday is a holiday. Uh, I unfortunately have to work on Saturday. Unfortunately, fortunately, it, it's I mean, I'm going to a conference representing, uh, doing a Bible college and seminary conference, 
down in Bath. It can be a great conference called the Feed My Sheep Conference. Uh, you can check it out, Feed My Sheep Bath, New City Church Bath, if it's something you would be interested in. There's still time to sign up and to go to that. And uh, um, and then Sunday and Monday, try to get a little bit of the uh, of the weekend in um, as able. So uh, Monday, I'm not going to broadcast. Going to lean into a chance to sleep in just a little bit Monday morning, and then uh, we'll get uh, back at it Tuesday only on the. Uh, the Daily Discipleship Podcast Facebook page and uh, my um, YouTube channel that many of you have found. So um, just want to make mention that so you know that if you've been following along on Veracity Chapel, you're going to need to uh, like and follow the Daily Discipleship Podcast uh, a Facebook page, and currently it has my name, Jim Colbertson. I think on the YouTube page, uh, you can find it there. Put in Daily Discipleship. It'll probably bring it up. Uh, we're still kind of doing some tweaks on the YouTube side. So anyway, enough of that. Uh, we finished up Second uh, Peter chapter 3 yesterday, but Second Peter chapter 3, brought to surface some conversation about the end times. It, it's really about the end times, Second Peter chapter 3. And I mentioned some varying views uh, about the end times, and I have pretty much taught from what is called a dispensational uh, millennial view. And... Uh, uh, still hold that view, and um, but I, I want to lay out some of the other views that are prevalent. Uh, there are other very solid Christians, uh, solid scholars, theologians, pastors, who may subscribe to one of the other views that I'm going to lay out for you this morning. And there are aspects of the other views that that, that I, I like, but there are other things that, uh, for me, I, I just go, I, I don't see it that way. However, in all humility, the fact that there are very good, outstanding pastors, scholars, theologians, teachers, Christians who hold to the, some of the other views uh, and and robustly hold to those views causes me to to temper my, um, not temper necessarily convictions, but but temper the maybe the, where I stand uh, th- that I'm not so dogmatic that that I would exclude others uh, and say, well, you you have a bad theology or something because they don't hold my view. Uh, this is one of the areas that is so uh, robustly. Uh, Conversed about. I, I didn't want to say debate. Uh, sometimes it's a debate, but but there's conversation, there's dialogue from the varying views, uh, and yet great respect. That I think that's how we have to approach this in humility. Uh, I in some of the preparation for today, I see some people taking shots at others. Well, you know why you can't listen to these people? Because come on, I, I just I, I I don't conclude it. In fact, some of the people. 
that, that we would line up. Some people line up behind uh, have differing views on this. Uh, and uh, I've shared names like John MacArthur and Vody Bauckham. Uh, they don't have the same view uh, of the end times. Uh, and yet on some of the other cultural issues or uh, with, within the church issues that, that they stand up strongly for, um, people get behind them. So anyway, let, let's get into these views and what they are. Um, I, I'm going to talk. I'm going to share the screen. Really what this comes out of uh, partially, uh, some of it has to do with the hermeneutic, but some of it, what we're going to talk about today, really comes out of Revelation chapter 20. Let me read these verses to us. It says, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, here is the reference uh, to the thousand years. This is lone references here, this section of Scripture. Uh to the best of my recollection, is the only place that talks about this thousand years. So we have to deal with it. It's in Scripture. Let's continue. Verse 3 says, He threw, threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death, that's eternal death, has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and, and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, let me continue because this goes down through at least verse 10. It says, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves, the Jerusalem. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever. Now, this broadcast isn't one that I've ever promised is going to be everything we read. It's just going to be uh, roses and puppy dogs. Uh, no, uh, we're dealing with the text of Scripture. And this particular passage deals with a thousand-year reign of Christ. And there are two predominant uh, approaches to this section of Scripture. One is a literal uh, approach, uh, and the other is a metaphorical approach. And uh, some of the, often the more Baptistic people, uh, like myself, although I'm not really a Baptist, would approach this from a 
much more literal vantage point. Others approach this from a metaphorical vantage point. Uh, There are people who will take more of the scripture while they love the scripture and it is their guide for faith and practice and life. Um, They take an approach at it that is uh, more of it is metaphorical than maybe I might hold to. Uh, And that's a hermeneutic. There's a literal hermeneutic and there's a a, a more metaphorical approach at it. And, And those people, again, they subscribe to the word of God as the word of God. Uh, it doesn't change. It doesn't become the word of God. But the, the, the question at hand is, is how it is to be read. Now, this leads to three or four different views. And I have some charts and things I'll share with you here of the millennial kingdom. One is the dispensational view. And actually within the dispensational view, there are two different camps. And we'll talk about those. And... Um, then there is what is called a post-millennial view, uh, and the post-millennial view uh, believes that uh, the second coming happens after the millennium. Uh, the post-millennial view, view actually believes that in a spiritual sense, we are in the millennial kingdom now, and and as we looked at in Second Peter with the with uh, the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day, they would reference a verse like that. To, to show that, look, uh, you know, God's timetable is not the same as ours. And while it talks about a thousand days or a thousand years, uh, in, in that reference in, uh, second Peter chapter three, uh, they will point to that and go see it. It's, it's, it can be metaphorical in the sense of the thousand years. And so they would say that from the time of the resurrection of Christ, some might even point to the ascension. Many will point to the resurrection of Christ and say, we are now in the millennial kingdom uh, and the thousand years is is, uh, an analogy for this period of time. So um, that is their view. And their view would also be that there isn't, uh, and we will, there is a mixture of both uh, victory in Christ and yet human suffering that, that uh, are contiguous within the millennial kingdom, which they believe is happening right now. Uh, and then the end will come. There'll be the rapture of, of the saints, uh, the judgment upon the earth, the great white throne judgment, which, which comes next here in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 20, verse 11, talks about the great white throne judgment, the judgment uh, that takes place uh, of all people. The believing to eternal rest uh, in the new heavens and new earth and the uh, non-believing into lake of fire. Uh, the post-millennial put it in, in that sense. We're in the millennium now and, you know, there, there, there aren't these different, different uh, aspects to it. And, and I will get to that here uh, momentarily and show you some of the charts. I might not have enough time to go through all of it this morning. I might have to bleed over to Tuesday. Um, and then there is an amillennial view that says, you know, really, uh, again, kind of like the post-millennial view, uh, if there is a millennium, it, it's now, and really it's not amillennial. 
uh, means not. They don't believe there's not a millennium, but they also believe that we are in the millennium uh, right now. Uh, and uh, the difference between those two camps is uh, one believes that uh, the post-millennial view believes that uh, the world will keep getting better and better and better and better uh, until the glorious time uh, of the return of Christ. You see why I don't subscribe to that. I, I don't see the world going that way, but they hold the view and the hope that the world will continue to get better. Now, I'm going to look at my other screen and some of my other notes over here. I do want to say that uh, much of what I'll be giving you today uh, some of it comes from the Gospel Coalition, so uh, thegospelcoalition.org. And I can't copy and paste these, but thegospelcoalition.org, Views of the Millennium, uh, is one of the places that I am referencing uh, and looking at. And the other is um, I have it on a different screen on purpose already. Uh, the other is from the Blue Letter Bible backslash FAQ backslash uh, M-I-L-L. Uh, so blueletterbible.org backslash FAQ backslash M-I-L-L dot C-F-M. That is the other one that... Uh, that I'll be looking at and and uh, talking us through, and it has some charts, very very helpful for you. The millennium refers to that thousand period, thousand year reign of Christ. Uh, it's de- debated. We've talked about that. Uh, it, it is this is a passage notoriously difficult to uh, to interpret. It's been the source of a lot of debate among these different schools of thought that we have just outlined for you, amillennialism, postmillennialism, and premillennialism. Uh, amillennialists do not expect the future literal thousand, but rather viewed as Christ reign with the saints during the time between the two comings. We're in that period right now. Postmillennial, uh, postmillennialists believe that Christ returns after the millennium uh, as a golden age uh, when the majority of the world is converted to Christianity. Premillennialists believe that uh, Christ returns before the millennium, preceded by this intense time of tribulation. Um, I'm trying to glean some things out of this for you. And... uh, Although amillennialists, and again, this is from the gospelcoalition.org. I do not want to take credit for this. Um, some of what is here is mine, and but much commentary is coming from these few places. Um, although amillennialists expect no millennial kingdom, this does not mean that they deny millennium entirely. Uh, as Anthony uh, Hokema provides a concise uh, amillennial interpretation of Revelation 20 that we just looked at. Uh, amillennialists uh, interpret the millennium as describing the present reign of the souls of deceased believers with Christ in heaven. So the millennium happens in heaven. They understand the binding of Satan as being in effect during the entire period between the first and second comings of Christ. So they would say that Satan is bound now, though ending shortly before Christ's return. 
they teach that Christ will return after his heavenly reign. That is their view. Millennialists, uh, all millennialists believe that we are presently living in the millennial kingdom, characterized by the simultaneous experiences of gospel victory and suffering. Uh, all millennialists interpret a thousand figuratively. I mean, that goes to reason. The gospel is victorious because Satan is bound, rendering him incapable of preventing the spread of the gospel. And uh, yet he is not utterly powerless from persecuting the church or doing the things that he would do uh, on this earth. Just before the end, Satan will again be permitted to deceive the nations and the persecution will increase dramatically. Kind of the type of stuff you'd read about with the tribulation. Christians are awaiting uh, the visible bodily return of Christ, which brings an end to all suffering. The second coming occurs concurrently with the general resurrection and a public rapture of the church, uh, who immediately return to earth with Christ, who then judges the world and ushers in the final state. So, uh, yes, there's the tension of the already and not yet that the amillennialists have. Now, I want to say this as a dispensationalist. I believe in the already, not yet as well. I believe that there are aspects of the kingdom of God that are here. We are invited to the kingdom of God even now, but the fullness of the kingdom is not yet revealed. And so I see that tension also as a dispensationalist. The amillennialist takes it to a different level. Uh, so they would hold that Christians presently live in the inaugurated kingdom uh, as Christ reigns from heaven, yet they await the kingdom's full realization when Christ will reign on earth eternally. Uh, the current already kingdom endures tribulation, suffering, but victory is also ours as the gospel spreads in the consummate kingdom, the new heavens and new earth, there will be eternal rest. Another key point of the amillennial view is the understanding of the Old Testament prophecy, especially regarding uh, its interpretation by the New Testament. Uh, Kim Reidelbarger writes this, amillennialists hold that the promise made to Israel, David, and Abraham, the Old Testament, are fulfilled by Jesus and his church during this present age. Uh, so the church and Israel kind of become blended together. They might point to uh, Romans chapter. Uh, uh, Romans chapter nine. I'm watching some of the uh, some of the notes here, uh, uh, some of the comments, uh, and again, just telling you, uh, you will need to go only. You have to like and follow the Daily Discipleship Podcast page on Facebook, and you'll get the notifications um, when we are on. We're, we're on a couple different right now. We're at Brassy Chapel, and we are at um, the Daily Discipleship Podcast page on Facebook. And uh, so you can reach out to Don. Uh, he's available on all those places, so if you're having issues... Uh, We've been running both platforms for about two weeks now, but uh, 
the fact that we're going to be turning off uh, the others is maybe a little confusing to some. Let me get back to this this other to the uh, topic at hand. Um, this is Kim Reidelbarger. She says, "All millennials hold that the promises made to Israel, David, and Abraham in the Old Testament are fulfilled by Jesus and His Church in this present age." Uh, since these promises have been fulfilled, no future fulfillment is required. Now, see, I don't hold that view. All millennialists point to passages which teach that the consummation of history occurs at the second coming uh, with only the eternal state following. All millennialists base their interpretation of Revelation 20 as uh, as redescribing or representing what took place in Revelation chapter 19, rather than uh, a continuation, a chronological continuation of it. Now, post-millennialism is another view. Uh, And I think I'll probably come back to this again on Tuesday, because the charts that I have for you are really, really, really outstanding charts that will be very, very helpful. uh, But I don't want to switch between the two. We'll, We'll delve back into this. And you say, why does this matter to you? Well, it does matter some in how you appreciate other Christians it does matter some, uh, you know, how you view things are going to unfold uh, in the future. And I have brothers and sisters who do not share my table setting view that uh, God is setting the table. God is setting the stage uh, for for the tribulation period. They they don't share that view. And uh, uh, sometimes we just assume all of the Christians share that view. There are other views. Uh, so post-millennialism holds the view that Christ will return after the millennium. Uh, the terminology falls short in some ways. In a strictly chronological sense, all millennialists and post-millennialists agree that Christ returns after the millennium. Uh, in fact, the amillennialists were known as post-millennialists until the 20th century. Post-millennialists generally agree with the amillennial interpretation of Revelation 20. The two agree the millennium is figurative, not a literal thousand-year period, and that it is a time in which the gospel is preached throughout the world as Satan is currently bound. They also agree on the general course of events in the end times. Jesus comes, then the physical resurrection of the righteous and the wicked occurs, followed by the final judgment culminating with new heavens and new earth. They do not have this period of tribulation uh, and this other literal Jesus and the the saints on earth reigning uh, over the world for a thousand years. They they treat that differently. What distinguishes post-millennialism from amillennialism is that not the timing of the second coming in relation to the millennium, but the nature of the millennium, whereas the amillennialist expects the church to experience both victory and suffering simultaneous until the second coming, post-millennialists take the view uh, that that there will be an end, a gradual end to the church's suffering and the suffering in the world before the return of Christ. They expect a golden age of righteousness on earth, uh, the millennium in, in which the church experiences increasing prosperity and a great influence on culture. Uh, they understand, the post-millennialist understands this as uh, the fulfillment of the millennium. Uh, they would say that the, the, the millennial kingdom is now being extended through the preaching of the gospel and the saving work 
of the Holy Spirit. They believe in a great revival and a great spiritual awakening, uh, a long period of righteousness and peace that they would then call the millennium. Uh, so, you know, these these are things that, uh, again, um, the post-millennialists will point to the Great Commission, arguing it will be entirely successful. They point to things like uh, Psalm 2, uh, verses 7 through 9, that says, I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of your earth your possession. In addition, they draw attention to the parables in Matthew 13, which they said, you know, indicates the, the, the phenomenal growth of the church which will come. So we've covered uh, amillennialism, postmillennialism, and premillennialism. Uh, and the premillennialist view is, 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 and this is broken into two different views. One is the historic premillennial view and the dispensational premillennial view. Historic premillennialism is labeled as such because it more or less resembles uh, the premillennialism held in the ancient times, um, earlier times. Dispensational premillennialism derives its name from the theology that was uh, developed in the 19th century by John Darby that divides biblical history into different sections. Both forms of premillennialism uh, follow the, the chronological and literal reading of Revelation 19 uh, and then... Revelation chapter 20. Uh, George Ladd defines it this way. Uh, Premillennialism is the doctrine stating that after the second coming of Christ, Christ will reign for a thousand years over the earth before the final consummation of God's redemptive purpose in the new heavens and the new earth uh, of the age to come. Uh, The historic premillennialist the present age will continue until a brief period of tribulation after which Christ will return to earth to establish his millennial kingdom. Um, and at the second coming, there will be a resurrection of believers and a public rapture. The dispensational premillennialist would argue that the rapture happens prior to the, uh, the tribulational period. Now, there's a much more we can go into, and, and, and I just I, I want to just kind of land the plane this way for this morning because I've already gone longer. Um, I will bring, we'll come back to this on Tuesday, and I'm going to have several charts to share with you. Uh, you may have questions. Why does this matter? Uh, you know, we, because there are doctrines of the Christian life that, that we need to subscribe to. Uh, you, you should say, well, why does the end matter? Because Jesus said, be ready. That's why it matters. Uh, Paul said, be ready. Peter said, be ready. John uh, illustrates through the book of Revelation to be ready. He who endures to the end will be saved. Uh, so we have a response and a responsibility uh, according to the command of the Lord Jesus to watch and to be ready. Understanding and, and concluding a view um, of the millennium uh, and and where we will stand on that helps us to know how we ought to live. And in fact, all the views point toward a, con- a concluding uh, act. They all point to a cons- consummative act uh, in the very end. Uh, and that very act at the very end 
and, and you'll see this on Tuesday when we come back to these charts, that very end uh, has to do with the final judgment. They all will point to that. We all need to be right and be ready with Christ because in the final judgment, uh, those that know Christ, that are genuine, uh, genuinely converted, uh, enter into that place of eternal rest in the new heavens, the new earth. Uh, those who do not know Christ will go on to eternal torment. Um, that's, that's why it matters. Jesus said, be ready. The post-millennial view, the amillennial view, both could be indicators that, that Christ could return at any time. The uh, premillennial view, the dispensational premillennial view, indicates that Christ will rapture the church out, then the tribulation will happen, uh, and then after that, Christ will return to earth for a thousand years. We'll look at that again next week. Uh, these are things that, that, that other Christians around us study. I'm not just talking theologians. R.C. Sproul says anybody that studies the Bible as a Christian is a theologian. Um, but they don't have to be just scholars. You don't have to be just pastors to understand these things. There are many good Christians. In fact, the, the chairman of our elders, uh, Jake Ojala at Veracity Chapel, really, I mean, you can get into some great conversations with Jake on these very points. And I want to encourage you to develop yourself theologically, uh, to develop yourself and your understanding of, of the scriptures so that you can give a reasonable defense uh, and uh, so that you can engage other Christians in, in good dialogue as well. Well, friends, I've gone long today. It is Labor Day weekend. I want to encourage you to have a fantastic weekend. Again, I will not be here on Monday. We'll be back on Tuesday. And uh, you, uh, you, you will pick this back up on Tuesday. And Tuesday would be a good day if you're able to watch from a computer screen. You'll have greater appreciation of the charts and things that we'll share on Tuesday. Hey, friends, live for Jesus. Have a great week. Have a great weekend. We will see you on Tuesday.